You're listening to The Interview, in-depth retailer interviews with inspirational people. This episode of The Retail Exchange is presented by Peak. Peak works with leading brands including Fitflop, Nike, PepsiCo and ASOS, providing game-changing AI applications that increase revenues, profits and efficiencies. Head to peak.ai retail to learn more and start your own AI journey. Hello, I'm Carl McKeever, and welcome to the latest in the interview series from the Retail Exchange podcast, as we bring you insight and opinion from premier retail industry professionals and thought leaders. Today, I'm joined by Sal Usmani from footwear brand Fitflop. Recorded live in the heart of New York City during NRF 2023, we explore the brand story and talk digital transformation. Here's the episode. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. So tell us about Fitflop. It's a brand which I believe is born in the UK uh, around about 2007. But beyond that, my, my knowledge is very sparse. So fill me in. Okay. Yeah, you're not too wrong. That's 2007. So what's that? Just over 15 years old. The business was started by a Canadian brilliant entrepreneur called Marcia Kildmore. Marcia had identified a gap in the market where people who had orthopedic ailments weren't able to really buy fashionable or stylish footwear so she took it upon herself to come up with a a range of orthopedic certified biomechanically enhanced footwear and that's where the journey took us from and i think you have some quite remarkable patented technology is that right Uh, that's correct indeed yeah so we work with a a great company in Calgary in Canada and they are kind of help front our R&D and that's where the painted technology was born yes yeah and the famous micro wobble board what is this so the micro wobble board is one of the technologies that we use in our footwear and what it has the ability to do is to kind of help disperse weight in a way that allows the footwear to kind of mold to the individual's foot so if you had a collapsed arch or a uh, a flat foot, you know, the way that you're distributing your weight, the micro wobble board kind of helps deal with the impact so it's not painful on the individual. So giving it the confidence that we're well-renowned for. So as CTO, could you just outline for me, please, your uh, role and responsibilities? Sure. So I am part of the exec team here at Fitflop, and my responsibility is obviously to oversee all technology-related initiatives, ranging from anything from ERP to POS systems to payment gateways, anything that kind of helps drive the customer experience through technology is what I'm responsible for. And during the pandemic, the role of e-commerce, etc., came very much to the forefront of what retailers were all about. How has Fitflop responded to that? Um, has it become more agile? Has it become more responsive? You know, what did the pandemic do to the business and specifically your role? So, yeah, good question. I mean, I think like most organizations at that time, it, it was forced to kind of take a look at itself and see how it could adapt to kind of look at new thought-provoking ways of engaging the customers. So the kind of boom of the digital technology that you rightly refer to was kind of uh, putting us in a position where we had to look hard at ourselves. The business up until that point, and still actually today, largely was quite um, wholesale based. Um, And therefore, as a B2B model, we weren't uh, necessarily looking at digital as quite a, a major channel. So it forced us to do that. 
I mean, I think part of my remit coming into this organization is to kind of look at all these different channels that we're operating within and kind of what we refer to as a unified commerce and omni-channel proposition. We're kind of joining all of these technologies together to kind of make sure that the business is seeing a single view of the customer, a single view of the business. So that's kind of what the digital technology and the pandemic has forced us to do. So you mentioned there your role uh, coming into the business. Just tell us about that. Uh, I have the best part of just over two decades kind of working in the fashion and apparel and luxury retail sector. Um, I've worked for a number of organizations in the past. I started off my career working for a very well-renowned British designer called Sir Terence Conran. For those who don't know, he sadly passed away a couple of years ago and he was responsible for kind of the boom of Michelin-style restaurants in the late 90s and early noughties. He's a design mogul, restaurateur, anything that had any kind of design attribute associated with it, Sir Terence had his fingers in. He had six SMBs all under one business, mostly being run by his children. Um, but the, the challenge that he had at that time when I came into the business is that he had these six businesses that were operating independently. Uh, and at the group level, he wasn't really able to understand how they were operating. There was no kind of synergy or alignment in the kind of overall group strategy. And, you know, as a as an elder gentleman, he wasn't really quite au fait with how technology could kind of help bring all of these businesses together. So part of my challenge coming into that organization is to join all these businesses together, kind of create this one technology ecosystem that would allow him to understand all of these businesses a little bit more easily. That journey took me 10 years. Um, we did everything there, changed everything there, really modernized his organization. I remember before I left at our Christmas do as well, he'd, he'd took me to one side in, a, in his very quintessential English voice and told me that how I'd bought transparency and visibility to his business and uh, did he share one of his famous cigars with you he did he did wow. indeed yeah Look at you. so uh, Mont Cristo's really have good memories and fond memories of that experience so that I'm sure was very instrumental perhaps in terms of how you approached your new role here at Fitflop you've had first-hand experience of seeing a business which whilst was very successful from a kind of an IT ecosystem or infrastructure perspective was probably quite dysfunctional. Yes. So that gave you ability to kind of almost helicopter view and do an initial assessment of this is where we're at and yeah. this is what we need to be done. 100%. So how did you go about, in a sense, almost that root and branch remedial work or, or strategy development that you have put in place? I think the most important thing to do is to try and come in and learn the business. No, you know, no two businesses are the same you know there isn't a one solution that fits all model that you can apply to these things I think it's really important that you take the time to come in and learn the organization understand how it's operating I think it's very important to also understand what the business wants to get to so I refer to these things as target operating model workshops and what they allow you to do is kind of understand how the organization operates today versus how it wants to operate in two years three years five years time and then you're kind of using the technology roadmap that you devise to kind of help complement that growth strategy. And so those are the kind of things, so you can start taking these things apart. And I'm a big advocate of always prioritizing these things in, in three sequences, which is process, people, and then lastly, the tech. I think it's often the undoing factor of transformation programs when people try to shoehorn tech in without necessarily understanding the process and the people associated with it or how the organization works. So doing it in that sequence has 
certainly been successful for me in the past and that's exactly the journey that we're on here at Fitblock. And what's the balance of the kind of channels within the business? Is it purely an e-coms or is there also physical retail as well? So good question, yeah. So part of the reason why we're actually out here in New York is we're just about to launch our first New York store down in Mercer Street in Soho. So that will be our first flagship store in New York that we own ourselves. And sort of the middle of last year, we opened our first flagship store in London. Um, but prior to that, the business has largely been made up of a wholesale business, as I alluded to earlier. We are massive in Asia. We have a big distributor or franchise business in, in Asia. And the split currently at the moment is sort of 60-70% wholesale, you know, sort of 20-odd percent, 25% uh, e-commerce or digital, and the rest is now coming up with retail. So will this be a case of, to use your, your word, shoehorning retail into your system? Or do you think that retail physical stores themselves will also present some new challenges? Um, I think they will do. I think the point that we have to do is make sure that there's synergy from a, a branding standpoint. So however we're presenting ourselves in the wholesale businesses and the distributor businesses and online, that retail complements that brand strategy. For me, again, I always talk about omni-channel and unified commerce. So from a technology standpoint, you know, part of my main objective at the moment is if people are putting things in their baskets online on their mobile phones, we can find a way to incentivize them to come into one of our retail stores and have a little bit more of a, an experience associated with their, you know, their customer journey. And that's where I think physical stores have a big part to play, you know, because people get a chance to touch and feel the product. And um, if you only immerse yourself in e-commerce, you know, that, that opportunity to try, touch, feel and get closer to the brand kind of comes a little bit more distant. So mm. um, I think retail has a big part to play and I think that's a very exciting part of our journey now. And that's exactly the path that we're on. And of course, for the consumer, you know, they don't mind these days where they shop as long as they can get access to the product. So I guess the key here is trying to make it seamless and creating synergy and without friction across the whole piece. 100%, yeah. I mean, look, if we're going to be competitive, I think our obligation to the customer is we need to give them the ability to shop how they want, when they want, where they want. So if we, if we do that and our technology environment and our tech stack has the ability to service the customer in that way then I think we'll always be competitive we have to be able to showcase our products in a way that resonates through whichever channel device physical store wherever they are in the world for you is AI yet a consideration within the business or is it still a distant thing which actually you need to let it kind of almost develop stabilize mature before it becomes a prospect for you guys so it's very much part of our strategy at the moment. You know, it's a big buzzword at the moment. Everybody's trying to get after it. And I think, as I said earlier, it's important to understand what the business is trying to do to understand how AI can help enhance that uh, strategic direction. Um, currently where we're at, at the moment is AI can only be good if you have the right data sets to support the AI capability. And I always use the analogy of having data as a foundation in a, in a building or a house or an organization and you know if the foundations are weak then the AI the machine learning the organization will, will struggle so at the moment we're just trying to underpin the foundation in, at Fitflop so we have just devised a very comprehensive data strategy that we're working with a couple of AI partners on and those workshops and uh, initiatives that we're trying to devise are helping us get through understanding how the business operates 
how the customer is engaging with our organization, and then it will help influence many other things like operational efficiency, merchandising, marketing, buying, you know, those are the kind of things where I think AR has a huge opportunity. And you, if you can package that all up and just put the customer at the center of everything that we're trying to do, then I think you get the most value out of AI. And, and how do you separate the, the truth from the hype? I think you have to be measured in your approach. As I say, I think organizations try to get after the shiny stuff first without necessarily getting the basics right. And I'm of the mindset that let's get, if you don't have the basics and the foundations in place, then the shiny stuff just becomes the hype. Yeah. You know, I think it's important to be showing progression in a brand. And you know, progression versus perfection are two very different things. I don't actually think perfection exists per se. I think progression is a better thing to get after. Uh, and I think if you can understand that quickly, then you separate the truth from the hype. And uh, you know, the consumer always needs time to catch up. You know, it's taken some people, you know, the pandemic actually to switch their behavior from going to stores sure. where they couldn't shop to actually being forced to shop online. But the consumer, probably there's a lag between what's happening at the very cutting edge of technology and whether mm. those brands are which are really pioneering new futures sure. versus the customer that's you know, still quite happy to do it in the lumpy, clunky old way. Yeah, um, yeah no, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I think this kind of comes down to geographically where you are, the demographic that you're servicing, what your customer is, who your consumer is. And as I say, you know, part of my obligation here is to make sure that irrespective of whether you're into the metaverse or not, or whether you just like traditional bricks and mortar. You know, we have a, a, an obligation to make sure that we're kind of able to bring that customer experience, you know, to the customer and, and be able for them to be able to shop in whichever way that they, they see fit. Um, I think the consumer is always testing things all the time. You know, we have to ask ourselves questions as what's right for the brand. You know, I don't think FitFlop, the kind of consumer that we attract today doesn't necessarily have the digital metaverse in their kind of shopping experience. However, you know, there is a very key strategic direction in the organization where we are trying to appeal to a younger audience, developing a product range which talks to a younger audience and a younger consumer, and those consumers shop in a completely different way. So when the time is right, you know, we will look at trying to explore those opportunities. But I come back to the original point that I made about getting the basics right and making sure that we can bring transparency and visibility to the shopping experience. Peak is an AI company that works with leading brands like Fitflop, Nike, ASOS and PepsiCo. Peak's library of customizable AI applications help these businesses to reimagine retail, driving outcomes across a range of use cases. From empowering planners to step away from spreadsheets to improving forecast accuracy and enabling marketing personalization at scale, Peak's applications consistently prove value. Results include 8,400% return on advertising spend, 27% increase in rebuy profit, and an 8% reduction in supply chain costs. Head to peak.ai retail to learn more about game-changing AI for your retail business. Hear from more of the brightest minds in retail at Shop Talk Europe 2023, 9th to the 11th of May in Barcelona, Spain. Shop Talk is the home for Europe's boldest and bravest retail trailblazers to reimagine the future. 52% of the 175 leading speakers are C-suite. 
Don't miss joining over 3,500 power players from the biggest and rising retailers and brands, startups, technology companies, investors and analysts for three days of business-critical insights, conversations and connections. To find out more, search Shop Talk Europe 2023 and register for tickets. To what extent has it been made easier by the fact it's still a relatively young company, you know, 15 years old? You know, I often sit down and talk with, with brands which have got legacy systems yep. from multiple takeovers. They're trying to merge and integrate technologies which are non-compatible, mm -hmm. things which effectively are obsolete now, but they're still limping on. Presumably, that is a situation you don't have to live with. <laughs> You're smiling, which suggests I couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> no, Carl, I mean, it was kind of naively my expectation also coming into this business. So this is the closest thing that I've ever worked to as far as a startup goes. You know, I've been in some pretty long-standing, prestigious heritage brands. Some of them are centuries old. And within those organizations, you have a lot of complexity, bad habits, legacy systems, as you rightly refer to, that just don't really have the ability to be nimble and agile. Where I think Fitflop has a great opportunity is in true entrepreneurial startup fashion, it's done things by hook or by crook to get up and running. And I think part of the exec team that's been put together over the last sort of 18 months, two years at Fitflop is now kind of, it's done extremely well to get it to where it's got to using that kind of hooker by crook entrepreneurial methodology. I think now what we're trying to do is to kind of stabilize the business, kind of modernize, look at the technology that we have there. And, you know, first of all, the cloud adoption piece that we have is um, very much part of the overall technology direction and that gives us a, a flexibility and a fluidity to do things uh, much faster and that's exactly the, the trajectory that we're on now. So when you're considering your next major upgrade what do you look for? I mean look there's a lot of choice nowadays that's, I think that's first and foremost. You're right though you know we have to find things that are right for our organization. I refer to the microservices framework which is very relevant in today's technology retail environment and that basically is the ability to kind of plug and play numerous applications and platforms in at the drop of a hat because APIs are now developed in such a way where it's almost just like downloading an app from the app store and you know the integration is there and we're kind of moving away from the very complicated highly customized, programmable yesteryear of kind of getting platforms to work. Do you think that was one work. of the barriers before? I mean, I yeah, remember one I of the big so. debates always was, especially when cloud services were first coming, you know, into the kind of popular yep. space. You know, and there was that huge kind of almost resistance, reluctance. People got nervous, actually, sure. of getting away from the internal fixed hard yep. service, you know, things we can see, touch and feel, yep. to this thing that's in the ether. And people were genuinely, I think, almost... You know, holding back and waiting for someone else to do it first and seeing whether it you know, succeed or fail before they dip their own toe in the water. Sure. I mean, look, I think what those kind of environments have allowed us to do is to do show and tells to organizations very quickly because the ability to spin up environments in two to three hours, what might have taken two to three months to do once upon a time, allows organizations to see firsthand what they might be able to get without huge upfront capex investments you know these are the things that used to happen once upon a time you'd go to a board seek hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of investment technology teams would disappear for two years at a time then they would come and drop this massive ecosystem onto a business and then most people would run for the hills because it's 
you haven't developed a change management strategy or you haven't done the show and tell or you haven't brought an organization on the journey with you so they haven't seen gradually what they could get and then everything's kind of dropped in one hit and people just panicked. And I guess one of the big changes in that whole you know, relationship of tech within business now is whereas before these things were seen as big, periodic, almost lifetime investment sure. decisions, sure. people would be sitting around the table cynically thinking, you know, how long before we have to do this again? Right. These days it's much more of an ongoing, it's kind of, you know, exactly. drip, 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 you know, yep. modifications, upgrades, bolt-ons. Exactly. So, you know, I always sort of use the analogy of, because you're right, you know, that when you talk about ROI models, typically organizations used to depreciate these types of investments over three years, four years, five years, because they were such large investments. Where we've kind of come into this subscription-based model, if you will, which is a lot more OPEX-based rather than CAPEX-based, you're not at the mercy of having to sweat the cost as much uh, and justify it to a CFO or, or a board because you can just show them, look, in two, three weeks, we can show you X. If you're not happy with it, the investment is only £2,000. Of course, there's many more external providers now that are providing yep. these products and services. Yep. So, so your investment can actually be quite short term in many ways. And it so is. see whether it's working. Nor are we at the mercy of vendors for three years, five years. The, the original software license agreements in those days used to be very long. So you had what we refer to as vendor lock-in. And the world isn't like that right now. And if you're not a vendor that's kind of modernizing the way that they kind of offer services, then you end up becoming extinct if you're not evolving. Which I guess makes your job much easier because you don't have to be quite so long-term in your thinking. Precisely. You can be much more nimble and agile in terms of what does the business need now versus what it might need in 18 months' time. Absolutely. And because, you know, the technology landscape changes so quickly, you can't afford to be locked in for three, four, five years because in our world, it's, you know, it's kind of career suicide, really, because the world just moves much faster nowadays and you want to have the ability to chop and change as the landscape moves and evolves. So you clearly swim in a, in a pond with other CTOs. What are the kind of priorities which people are looking at in 2023? You know, kind of where, where is the thinking? Yeah, so look, you touched upon AI and machine learning earlier. I, I think a lot of organizations are trying to have a comprehensive data strategy in place. You know, I think ensuring that the customer is at the center of everything that we're trying to do should be the 23 strategy and beyond. Everyone talks about customer centricity. Sure. What, what does that mean to you? I remember you know, a decade or so ago where technology teams would find a way not to do things because it was too complex, too expensive. So when I talk about what's customer centric for me, Carl, you know, I'm always challenging teams in businesses to look at how it might enhance the customer experience and be right. that 1%, 2%, 3%, whatever the percentage is. If it enhances the customer experience, then we should find a way to do it. Um, and don't perhaps let their own prejudices or... 100%. Preconceptions stand in the way. Precisely. You know, I think it's really, really important. And that's why I, when I talk passionately about having the customer at the center of everything we do, that's why it's important. And, you know, businesses of all size and scale might approach that in different ways. But I think the mantra should be there, that if you're using that to make sure that the customer is at the center of everything you're doing, then hopefully you're on the right journey. And how do you find out 
you know, what a customer is actually saying to you. Is that by, you know, analyzing the data, yep. you know, looking at kind of the dropout rates from checkout, or is it actually through physically talking to people as well and getting gaining insight from the customer directly in terms of how was their e-coms experience or where were the points of friction that perhaps didn't make it as good or as bad as, as it should be? Yeah, I think it's a complement of both actually. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for human engagement. You know, I'm a technology enthusiast, but I don't think you should just rely on technology and data to know what's resonating and what's not. I think, you know, our sales agents and the people who are very closest and representing the brand on a daily basis can often get first-hand insight as to what, what's gelling with the customer, you know, and I think it's a blend of, you know, taking both of those inputs and trying to work out what to do next. You know, we also have the very fortunate capability of now being able to test and learn much faster than we've ever been able to before. And all the biggest kind of retailers, if you look at your Amazons and all the big shopping platforms and marketplaces in the world, that's exactly what they're doing. They're able to kind of gather all this insight at a drop of a hat, model it out, test it. And if it's test and learn, and if it's not working, they can throw it in the bin very, very quickly. And if it is working, then they can look to enhance it very, very quickly also. I mean, you know, and I think those kind of things allow you to help with product segmentation, market segmentation, and customer segmentation. So when you're looking at things like this, exactly what you're rightly talking about, when you're bringing that data back in, then you can start to split out your, this product might work in this territory and it will resonate with this demographic. And you start, you're, you're then becoming a lot more uh, efficient in the way that you're marketing yourself to certain customers because you've got the insights to be able to do that test and learn from. So certainly one of those priorities then is data analysis. Correct. What, what, what other priorities are leaders looking at to help drive retail forward in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, I think, I mean, look, I think retail's really challenging at the moment. You know, the well-documented cost of living increases, everybody's watching their pennies. You know, we have to have mechanisms in place that allow us to understand our price points. Are we competitive? Is our product going to appeal to a customer? You know, and I think being able to understand those things is certainly part of the future strategy of what we're doing. I've never been uh, a fan of just innovating for the sake of innovating or just doing tech-related projects for the sake of. You know, we have to understand who our consumer is and what we're after, and then I think those are the things that help devise the technology initiatives that we've got lined up. And in terms of FitFlop and the product that you sell, are there any particular challenges there? I mean, look, I guess, look, if you're selling hard things like books, CDs, things for the home, the tactile element perhaps is not such an important dimension in terms of the consumer's thinking. Your product is all about fit, comfort. How does that present itself in the tech decisions? So look, I think people's wellness is, a, is very important to them now. You know, probably more important than it's ever been. And for me, I actually, you know, I'm coming from a, a very sort of traditional fashion and apparel and luxury retail experience. And, and what I see the opportunity at FitFlop for is technology and wellness. You know, I actually don't think it's being utilized in quite the correct ways. So that's and exactly what we're trying to learn. And I guess it's about trying to also reorientate the customer's thinking here that, that you know, kind of this kind of footwear product mm -hmm. isn't to be worn only when you're experiencing pain uh, absolutely but actually it's about doing something that prevents you getting to that point absolutely yeah so look, you know we, i made reference to it earlier traditionally comfort meant ugly and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be like that you know you can have comfort with wellness that's fashionable and, st and, and stylish and um, that's exactly the kind of product that we're trying to uh, to service our customer with Thinking about you and the team that you lead, how would you describe your leadership style? Um, well, you'd probably have to ask them that, not before <laughs> me, but uh, hopefully, 
they will say, you know, I'm one that kind of rolls his sleeves up and gets stuck in. You know, I think leadership comes from leading by example. I think, again, in the sort of yesteryear, CTOs or directors used to be um, quite detached from the rest of the team. So they might come up with a strategic direction, but they wouldn't necessarily be ingrained or involved in the delivery of those initiatives. And I certainly don't prize myself on that way. You know, I think if you're going to own it, you have to be in it. And I think my leadership style hopefully kind of stems from that. And, and is that aided by the culture of the business? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's just my own personal view as well. You know, I think teams engage more when you're supportive. You know, you can be around them and you can't change what you don't know. So if you're in it with them, then hopefully it makes that kind of trajectory of moving a business forward a little bit more seamless. Mm. So, um, so it's kind of much more collaborative perhaps than it it's was very in the much past. collaborative absolutely you know i'm a self-proclaimed business technologist that's how i refer to myself so the titles of ctos or directors don't really mean that much but i think being a business technologist is what drives me mm. and i think my leadership skills are coming from being uh, an enthusiastic business technologist and my final question what has been some of the biggest challenges that you've had or you know any, any projects which you've personally tested you think, crikey, I'd have done that differently. If I had that opportunity now, this is what I would have learned and applied. I remember when I was at LVMH, um, you know, that's probably the biggest luxury conglomerate in the world. And forcing a business to look at itself when it's ex extremely successful was a massive challenge in my career. You know, that's a company that can boast double digit growth year on year. It has some of the biggest, most prestigious, powerful brands in the world it didn't always necessarily see that there was, it was broken, so it needed to be fixed. And so in my career, one of the biggest challenges that I look back on is helping getting the business to see where there was opportunity to do more, even though you are a successful organization. Um, I guess without being critical, you kind of have to bring people with you. Absolutely. And look, it's a, it's a juggernaut of an organization with numerous complexities, a lot of political layers. So bringing people on the journey is paramount and you know we talk a little bit about that kind of show and tell test and learn capability and methodology that's exactly what we were able to do there and so, um, so it's no longer enough just to be kind of you know technically brilliant and nerdy around the, the you know no, the, not at all. The, the switches and the and the diodes as it were no you've actually got to be a people person as you've well. got to be a, yeah, exactly you know if you don't if you can't bring a commercial value to what you're doing from a technology standpoint then you can't expect a business to embrace it you know and i think that's part of the terminology and language that you now have to be if you want to be a modern technology leader, I think. And what excites you? What's the, what's the thing that you say, oh, this is what gets me out of bed in the morning. This is the drive. Making the customer happy, as cliche as it sounds. You know, if we're doing our jobs properly, and we're able to service the customer. I mean, they're everything. You know, they're the ones who are keeping us in a job. They're the ones who are, you know, pushing our organization forward. And, it, our, you know, we don't take it for granted when people are spending money in these challenging times. So. When I look at what makes me happy, if it's making the customer happy, then I'm happy. That's a wonderful place to end. <laughs> uh, my guest today has been uh, Sal Ismani, CTO from Flipflop. Fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for being our guest on the Retail Exchange podcast. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. This episode of the Retail Exchange was brought to you in association with Peak. Peak's library of game-changing AI applications empower brands like Fitflop, Nike and ASOS to reimagine retail, driving rapid results across a variety of use cases. Learn more at peak.ai retail and start your own AI journey today.
You've been listening to the Retail Exchange Podcast. Thanks for listening.